Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Corner, llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal, marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly, festive Christmas season's greetings to you, James. Yes, a very merry, festive morning to you too. Uh, did you have a good Christmas? I did. I did. It was very nice. Uh, lots of eating and drinking, uh, sitting around, uh, watching movies, playing video games. And I did something, James, that I have never, ever done before in my life. Go on. I ate fudge in the shower. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's so decadent. I know. It's. Just, I felt like... Like, uh, I was part of a Roman orgy, except it was just me. I had some fudge in the shower. It was it was just everything I've ever wanted from an eating fudge in the shower experience. I mean, dare I ask how it came about? Did you plan it, or did you just chance upon some fudge in the shower? Had you mistaken it for soap? What, what transpired here? I, I, I had taken some fudge out of a bag of fudge that somebody had given us as a present. Mm. It was homemade. It was delicious. And, uh... It was just sort of there, and I was making my way into the shower. I put it down, and I was, it was just there. I turned the water on and everything, and I just said, I'll take it with me. Let's live a little here. <laughs> <laughs> did, the, was, did the fudge get wet and start to disintegrate as you were eating it, or was it all right? No, I kind of held my hand out from underneath the, uh, the shower. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. You know, there was common sense involved here too, James, you know. You've got to take precautions. Yeah. Mm. Um, wow, that sounds remarkable to be honest and what an image as well yeah i'm sure it is <laughs> uh i also did something i've never done i went to stay at somebody's house over christmas uh, and we were kindly put up in this flat and i went to the bathroom and i was with my girlfriend i came back into the bedroom and i said oh the toothpaste here is really weird she's got weird toothpaste oh, my what did you just, do what did I you do walked out, i had this white about <laughs> <laughs> it was I hair just gel. Squirted. No, no, it was it was. Do you know Savlon oh <laughs> antiseptic <my God>. cream? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had just it had just been near the sink, you know, in a, in a place where I imagined toothpaste to be. So uh, yeah, sort of cream for minor wounds and vaccine <laughs> prevention. I just poured that all over my toothbrush. It was very odd tasting. I thought it's some weird whitening shit, or I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I then spent about twenty minutes trying to wash that out of my mouth. So. Oh my god, that's pretty yeah. gross. <laughs> it was pretty gross, to be honest. Um, but other than that. It was a, a good Christmas. What was your was your best present? The fudge, or do you have a, you know an alternative rival? Oh yeah, no, I got a much better present than that. 
Go on. I got a former York City striker, Marco Gabbiadini. What do you mean you got Marco, Marco Gabbiadini? He's mine like he, now. Like I you've own adopted him. him. Yeah, I own him. He's <laughs> my houseboy. Like people who adopt animals in Africa, you've adopted Marco Gabbiadini. Yeah, exactly. You what, know, do, what do you mean? People say like a former uh, York City striker is, is, is for not just for Christmas, it's for life. So I didn't sure. like drop him off at the... The RSPCA the next day. No, I didn't mm. get. I didn't get him. I, I was hoping that I would get him, but uh, unfortunately not. No, I got. I got a remarkable amount of socks this Christmas, yeah. which leads me to believe that people don't quite know what it is they should get me. But I did get some Darth Vader socks, which was cool. Nice. Yeah, I wore them going to see uh, Rogue One the other night, uh, the new Star Wars movie, which I uh, I enjoyed thoroughly. I have to say. That's good. It's been obviously mixed news this week on the Star Wars front. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a really good film. Really mm. good film. I, so I yeah, I, I got a lot of socks and books, which is you know socks and books. Good socks combo. And books. Yeah. What did you get? Anything cool? Oh, lots of. Th- I also got socks. Actually, bizarrely, this Christmas I asked for socks. Like when people said, "What do you want?" <laughs> uh, I I'm the only person in the world who's like socks, please. Are you so, are you hard on socks? Do you wear through socks very quickly? Is that yeah, is that why? Uh, uh, Quite a lot of my socks have holes in actually, mm. um, and so I'm going to use this this Christmas period as a chance to you know the transfer window's open imminently, so some socks are going to be going out and some socks will be coming into that drawer. It's, it's going to be a busy month in the drawer. It, it sounds to me, James, as if you're trying to shed your friendly tramp image here. I, you know, yeah, Could well, I am. I'm trying to go up in the world. I mean, my <laughs> best present actually um, is a holiday, and my girlfriend's well, it's a holiday, and I'm going on a, a pilgrimage to the birthplace of. Arsenal legend Nicholas Bentner. Going to be going to Copenhagen in a couple of weeks. Oh so wow, cool! Going to see all the all the plaques from all the places Bentner's been. Mm, this uh, is where he had sex with a taxi. Exactly. Yeah, I'm hoping to meet the taxi, and uh, hopefully they're not too scarred by by what went on. It should be pretty uh, obvious which taxi it is. In fairness, yeah. <laughs> a big load of dried Bentner jeers on the back of it. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've got pigeon shit on my car, but horses for courses, I guess. Um, and are you sure uh, yeah, it's so, just shit, James? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Bentner was local, I guess, at one stage. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's exciting. But yeah, all in all. A very nice Christmas. I'd say, I mean, even the socks that people bought me on Christmas may not fit me anymore because my feet are too fat. I have eaten <laughs> everything. Well, look, that is the whole point of it. That's the whole point. Are, I, are we allowed to carry it on until New Year or does it have to stop now? No, I think, I think it, it has to carry on until New Year. Because, you know, what's the point in making any kind of resolution, post-Christmas resolution, when the perfect time is the 1st of January, where you can go, well, look, I might as well just indulge myself. And you've, you've still got all this food and stuff lying around the house that's got yeah. to be eaten. Oh, look at that big block of cheese. I better, like, just have it on a load of crackers. I tell you something, though. All the cheese has been having a wild effect on my dreams, which are crazy enough as it stands. Mm. Um, they've been giving me crazy, fun dreams. So I think we continue on until the new year and then... Then we, you know, call it quits and get healthy. That's my plan. I, I had a dream last night, and this has just come back to me, so this may be wildly inappropriate. So prepare your sort of delete button over this. But I had a dream <laughs> last night that I befriended <laughs> I befriended a terrorist, okay? Right. And he was telling me about his terrorist plans to blow up something. It was a theatre in London, actually. And I was sort of working with him. I think we worked in a cafe together. And I was so desperate for him to like me and for us to be friends that I agreed to buy him a bomb. 
<laughs> from where? And, like bombs are us? Like eBay or something. I can't remember. <laughs> and then he had this ski that he was running things up. And I was beginning to have doubts and be like, do you know what? Maybe I should go to the police about this, but I'm implicated now. I've bought the bomb on eBay, and yeah. it was a real conundrum. And I was, I, I, believe it or not, I was feeling very guilty about it. When I woke up this morning, I was ever so relieved that I hadn't actually done that. So That's, there you go. These are the these are the things I dream about. And I did eat quite a lot of cheese last night, I must confess. Well, well there you go. There you go. Um, mm. I don't know what to say to that other than... No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, maybe it wasn't a dream and I've just implicated myself. I don't know. Well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what can we talk about? The, the, how much football's happened? One football match has happened since I spoke to you. Mm. Well, one Arsenal match. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a dearth of football over the festive period. Normally, there's football here, there and everywhere. And this particular festive season seems a bit weird because obviously we had the game on uh, St. Stephen's Day or Boxing Day as you, you, you call it over there. Um, and then, of course, we've got the game on Sunday, and then we have a game again on Tuesday. I mean, it feels like they could have had one midweek, you know, stretched mm. it out a bit more. And, you it's because it all falls on weekends, isn't it? So it's like Christmas was a, yeah. was a, a weekend, or sorry, New Year's is a weekend. It's weird, there's games on New Year's Eve. That seems strange to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a bit either. odd, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it feels like there has been a relative death, but they've sort of spread it out a bit, haven't they? Yeah. Spurs played last night. And I, Liverpool I and didn't City watch that. I didn't, uh, you know. I no, didn't it's watch Christmas. Spurs. Don't do it to yeah, yourself. Exactly. Watch Muppet Christmas Carol or something like that. Don't, we watched uh, don't Moonstruck, watch. actually. Ah, how was that? That's a great film. Yeah. Ah, good. It's good. Nicholas Cage um, being weird and stuff, you know. I watched Waking Ned yesterday. That's a great film. Is that about a, a donkey in a coma? <laughs> yes, essentially. <laughs> All right. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yes, so we played one match against West Brom. Yes, and I we suppose did. what could be more Christmassy than upsetting Tony Pulis? That is, that's true. I mean, if you were to ask for a Christmas present, that would be one of the things that would be on your list. And particularly upsetting him so late in the game. While I would have preferred to upset him a number of times throughout the game, like perhaps in the fifth minute, then in the 17th, then in the 48th, then in the 57th, and, you know, wrap it all up with a an 89th minute one. I, you know, it, there's something a little bit nice about it coming so close to to sending your team out at Arsenal to frustrate them, to deep block, to defend like crazy, and then to lose it in the last couple of minutes. You know what I particularly enjoyed about the goal? Go on. I like the fact that uh, the defender made absolutely no attempt whatsoever to try and win the ball. All mm. he did was, like, wrestle Giroud. Now, I don't think we were ever going to get a penalty for that, even though it probably should have been when you look at the replays and the way he was holding him and everything else, that he made just so no attempt to win the ball. And Giroud was so strong. It was brilliant, really brilliant centre-forward play. Great header over the keeper. And you think, you know, if you'd actually just tried to jump at the same time as Giroud and get your head in there, you probably you probably would have stopped it, you big, thick, fouling bastard. That's what I yeah. really loved about that goal. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it was, it was a, I think, a foul. He probably was holding him down. And the defender probably thought, if I do this, there's no chance at all the player scoring. And that's what makes it such a great header, isn't mm. it? I mean, Giroud's literally being tugged to the ground. By the time the ball hits the net, he's on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and so he's already on the way down, sends the header back up in the opposite direction. 
brilliant goal. And obviously, it's nice to see people get their comeuppance like that. And look, we got to see our favourite thing. Yeah. The goalkeeper who'd been wasting time the whole game, having to run around and desperately try and launch it forward in the final minutes. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's always glorious, especially uh, when he plays as, as well as he did. Uh, you see? That's Christmas... That's Christmas that's coming the, out there. That's Christmas yeah, coming, yeah. coming to get you. But yeah, he was he was very good, irritatingly good, Ben Foster. He had one of those games, and we've seen goalkeepers have those games time and time again against us, and it's, uh, it is frustrating, um, you know, particularly in the second half. I thought the end of the first half, I was going, oh God, this is a bit grim. You know, we'd really struggle to create any kind of openings to... Um, you know, to fashion chances. I thought there were perhaps chances to, to cross the ball in the first half, just to add a little bit of variety into what we do rather than trying to pull them left and right and left and right. And they were like very well organized in that first half, West Brom. A little less so in the second half because we, we, we had chances. We yeah. did start peppering the goal. I think we did 11 shots, 16 shots, 11 on target in, in the second half, something like that. Um, so we really, we really just, there's no other way to put it other than it was kind of industrial. Like when someone puts a big wall in front of you, what can you do? You, you know, you just try and bash it down. And in the end, that's, that's what we did. We did do it in the end, and a, another late goal. I mean, I went back actually this morning and had a look over the course of the season at the at the late goals we have racked up, uh, the significant ones anyway. There was a Southampton winner, ninety fourth mm-hmm. minute, because all a penalty. Koscielny in the ninety third to win at Burnley. Ludogorets, uh, we won away three two. Urzel eighty seven, and then Giroud got the eighty ninth minute equaliser at United and the eighty sixth minute uh, winner against West Brom. Mm. So plenty of late goals there. I mean, you can sort of make it that what you will. I think in this case, it was uh, a question of persistence, persistence paying off in the end. And funny, we talked last week about, you know, why uh, you keep Mesut Ozil on the pitch, even when he's not having his best game. And he produced a, a really great ball to find Giroud there. Yeah. And, as we so said he, earlier, he, brilliant header. He made se- or created seven chances during the game. It's not too um, bad, is it? No, it's not too bad at all. And yeah, I think there's a, another stat going around that we've scored more goals in the last 15 minutes of Premier League games than any other team. I think we've got 12 goals in the last 15 minutes of games. So there is, there's definitely something there. And I think there's a pattern to be, uh, to be taken from that, uh, to some extent. You know, obviously you would rather the team was a bit more decisive, <laughs> but it's not always possible. I think people sometimes forget just how difficult it is to uh, to win games in the Premier League, and particularly when a team like West Brom, who had literally no ambition other than to try and desperately keep a clean sheet and draw the game. Um, the, the pass maps, when you looked at them, uh, were just ridiculous. Pretty much everything in the, uh, in the West Brom half, all the ball with Arsenal 75, 76% possession. Um, you know, it, it's a difficult thing to play against and it's something we're going to have to, to come up against again. I think, you know, when you look ahead to what's happening this weekend, it's difficult to see Sam Allardyce coming to the Emirates and playing open, expansive football with the side that he's inherited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pulis and Allardyce back to back. Wow. I mean, <laughs> mm. uh, it's it's going to be quite a challenge. Um, but neither of their records are particularly good at Arsenal, are they? I guess yeah. that's what we've always got in our favour. West Brom did exactly this to Chelsea not long ago uh, and lost one nil. I think they made one defensive error. I think it was actually McCauley again who was a little bit of fault on that one. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, Diego Costa scored the winner. But yeah, so this is what they do. And I thought. 
you know, Arsenal have got a, a variety of manner of scoring goals, and, and Giroud's threat in the air is one of those, uh, and that's what proved to make the difference. Probably not what you'd expect, but nevertheless. Mm. It was absolutely terrifying, <laughs> nonetheless, when uh, Jakob... Uh, do you remember Jakob's Oh, yes, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. That really... Mm. I had my heart in my mouth there. I mean, we missed a few chances in that game, but I, I don't think we missed any quite as as good as that one. He's absolutely skied it from about six yards. Yeah, he probably should have uh, probably should have scored there, in fairness. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you ride your look a little bit. And, uh, you know, when you look at the second half and the amount of chances we had... Um, to, to score a goal, whether it was a great save, uh, Alexis hit the post, of course. Uh, Foster did amazingly well for a couple of the, the saves. One from Alexis, I think one from Ramsey as well. That might have well been... That might have well yeah, been after and there was the a goal. double save um, from Iwobi and Alexis yeah. that was quite impressive, I thought. Yeah. Um, but we had to win, really. It's an odd thing, isn't it? Because, you know, we're still in December, but had we not won that game, had we drawn, the gap would have been 11 points yeah. and that would have felt Massive, absolutely yeah. massive. I mean, nine is enough. It's it's yeah, more than nice enough. Plenty. You know, and you're you're looking at Chelsea playing Bournemouth, and you're thinking, well, there's there's literally no way that they're they're going to drop any points there. I know they do have a couple of uh, relatively tricky fixtures in this next little run that we have that you look at and think it's it's pretty kind in terms of in terms of what we had uh, running up to this. Uh, so perhaps there is some some room for manoeuvre, but we definitely couldn't do anything other than win the game uh, against West Brom. Had we not won that game, I think you could very uh, definitely say that there was there's no chance of, of Arsenal winning the title. I mean, it's slim enough as it is. Uh, when you look at the amount of points that Chelsea have racked up. But, you know, if, if anything, you know, if Chelsea can go on that kind of run... Uh, I think other teams in this league are capable of doing it as well, and I think we're probably one of those teams in terms of the in terms of the uh, the squad and the the players that we have. It was interesting, wasn't it? Afterwards, Tony Pulis saying that he thinks Arsenal have a far superior squad to Chelsea, and I saw some people say, "Well, that's you know, look at the look at the table." But I, I kind of see what he means by that, in mm-hmm. the sense that you know th- there's a bit more depth to our squad. Whereas if Chelsea lose one or two to injury, and they've been you know they've obviously been working the labs pretty well this season, they, they don't seem to have had any significant injuries. You know, it, it could well impact on them. So uh, I, I guess we just have to like chalk this one down. We knew it was going to be a really difficult game. Nobody before the game was saying, "Well, this is going to be easy." Uh, so the the fact that it wasn't shouldn't be any surprise to anybody. And uh, yeah, it was a little bit late, a little bit um, close to the bone, I guess you'd say. But, we, you know, we got over the line and got the job done. Like when Chelsea did it, everyone says they grounded out like champions. So where where's the difference? Obviously, you yeah. know, we'd lost two games uh, coming into it. But like, just if you're comparing game for game, opposition for opposition, we, we've we've done just what they did in that game. So... That's it, and you and you mentioned that you know we had lost the, the two previous league games, and it does take this Arsenal team a little while mm. to get going again. And I think, given that it was a must-win game, you know, it's it's a cliche, but you know, this festive period, the quality of matches often drops off because they play so many games back to back. They can be quite scrappy affairs, and it really is about mm. getting the points on the table. Uh, Chelsea, the squad depth thing, I think, is really interesting. I mean, I think you're right; they probably do have less. Or Tony Pulis is right, I should say, as much as it pains me. They probably do have uh, less depth, less options, but they also have, A, less games, and they also, B, have about 60 million quid burning a hole in their pocket <laughs> that they just got for Oscar. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them uh, make mm. a few additions in uh, in January. But the fixture list does kind of give us 
I don't know, a bit of room for hope. I mean, at the moment, it feels like we're playing a mini-season almost until we play Chelsea yeah. on the 4th of February. Uh, it's almost like this is like a little cup period where we've just got to win all the games and then we'll see where we are after Stamford Bridge because we know our fixtures are certainly winnable, but they, in that period, they go to Spurs on the 4th of January, they go to Liverpool at the end of January, you know, in between, they go to Leicester, who, all right, have been in terrible form this season, but we saw they can cause an upset, as they did against Man City, so... I don't know. There's a, there's a little bit of hope there. Yeah, there is. There is, I think. So, um, yeah, in terms of the West Brom game, any... I know you spoke about it in the On the Whistle uh, video mm. about selecting Giroud up front. Um, what, what did you make of that decision? I mean, it seemed to me a, a relatively sensible one, given the, the opposition that we were playing. What I didn't quite get was, if you are going to play a target man, a centre forward, try and give him some something to aim at a little earlier than we did. There was a complete yeah. reluctance in the first half to, to put the ball anywhere near him. Well, I wonder, I mean, maybe I'm being oversimplistic, but you really think sort of a, a slight personal uh, bugbear only because I find us so much more uh, engaging to watch with a more mobile front man. But I think that if you've been playing that way for most of the season and Drew's not started a Premier League game all season, maybe it's a bit much to expect... I mean, maybe it's not too much. Maybe they're professionals. They should be able to change it up. But just knowing Arsenal as we do, maybe it's a bit much to expect them to be able to adapt their game plan. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, the automatisms, is that it? Yeah, kind of. If you're stuck in a certain pattern, if you're used to playing with Alexis there, you take him away, it's, it's not necessarily easy to make that transition. The other thing is that I'm not sure we had the... I'm not sure we quite had the, white, the, the right wide players to complement Giroud. I think if you think of Oxlade-Chamberlain and Walcott both being out, to me they're more natural uh, wingers, guys who are going to you know, swing a cross in than, say, Aniwobi or an Alexis who are always going to come inside and mm. look to play off Giroud. So I do wonder if that might have been a factor too. I think that you know, he was always going to play a bit over the Christmas period. Um, I just I, I stand by I still think we're a better side with a more mobile front man but you can't do that every week unless you want to play Lucas Perez and that of course is not allowed mm. we might come to that in the questions I did notice a few uh, Lucas Perez-esque questions so we might come to that speaking of Perez though uh, I did like the did like the bit at the end of the game which I didn't see but uh, Tim Stillman um, was tweeting about it that Gabriel as the players came off at the end of the game was remonstrating uh, quite quite strongly with Perez for not tracking back the way he felt that he should, particularly that you know, given we were one nil up, we were protecting a lead, and the uh, and the, the three points in this game was so vital. Uh, he felt that uh, Perez's efforts were a bit half-hearted. They continued the discussion on down the tunnel. I have to say, uh, as as much as I'm not necessarily Gabriel's biggest fan, I think he's done pretty well since he came into the team, and I like that attitude. I like mm. that he will. He's prepared to have a go because, look, at the end of the day, it's not like you're never going to speak to the guy again. It's not anything other than you're just saying, look, do your job. You know, it's really important for all of us, for this team that you, you know, you put the effort in. You came on in the 71st minute. You could run a bit harder to try and track that guy down. And I think we've been missing a bit of that at times. Yeah, we have. I saw uh, some comments from Permat Saka in the past few days about maybe uh, a slight lack of fight in the side. And uh, I do think that that kind of that leadership and that sort of encouragement of other players is important. I mean, let's not forget, this is our first clean sheet for, I think, about 12 games. Yeah. Um, 
which is not a good record. No, uh, no. it's, 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 it's really, overdue. Yeah, that's for sure. Yes, it's overdue, and it's probably quite important. In fact, it's probably in some ways more important than a resounding win would be. You know, like a a three-one or a four-one. In some ways, that clean sheet is is vital because we need to get back to basics and start keeping those again. So, mm. yeah, I, I doesn't. It doesn't upset or offend me at all. I think there was reports, I think Tim Stillman maybe tweeted saying there were a couple of other players having a slight go at each other towards the end of the game. I don't think that's the worst thing, actually, knocking a few heads together and getting things straight. So No, it's yeah, not. I, think it's, I mean, it's necessary at times, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we can talk about how it's the coaches and the manager, you know, who have to, who have to drill these things into players. But sometimes when it comes from one of your own teammates, that's the thing that makes it really... Ring home. I, I wrote a piece. Uh, I think it's out today on on Umaxit, um, but about how in the the ninety seven ninety eight season, Tony Adams and uh, the back four had strong words with Patrick Vieira and Emmanuel Petit because they felt like they were leaving them overexposed. They were leaving too much space in front of the back four. And this was around that time. I could have could have been November, December uh, of that year when we had a, a really bad run. I think we lost. Was it three one to to Blackburn, maybe something like that? And they took them. Yeah, it was Blackburn. Yeah, and they 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 took them aside and said, "Look, you have to do more in front of this defence." And I think when it comes from other players, it can sometimes resonate a bit more because players are used to hearing things from coaches and managers and staff all the time. And to me, there's nothing wrong with a bit of uh, healthy discussion on the pitch and off the pitch and on the training ground. That you know. If you're going to demand the best uh, from those around you, you know, you, there's a measure of responsibility on you yourself to do that, too. You know, I think there has to be. It, it speaks to me a little bit like when Arsene Wenger talks about the, the captaincy and how there's uh, collective responsibility and collective leadership needed. That's what that is. It's not just mm-hmm. arguing for the sake of arguing. It's about getting the best out of your teammates and, and ultimately uh, doing the best for the team. Yeah, well, I, I I completely agree with that. And you know, Gabriel, it's interesting. It's not he's not necessarily who you'd expect uh, to be the guy, you know, sort of laying down the law. But mm. I think it's probably a good sign that he now feels he can. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, anything else that um, has cramped up in that game, or any? I'm just tr- trying to have a think. To be honest, I mean, uh, not 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 massively. I mean, you know, the first half was pretty painful it was one of those where i was watching it thinking oh god because boxing day last year really really ruined my christmas <laughs> uh, and i was thinking if we have another bad result today it's going to be the same but uh in the end i mean i you know that was a real fist pumper of a goal to get mm. it that late on uh and to be honest that's that's all i really came away from the game focused on and i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's about moving on and trying to do the same against crystal palace on on new year's day although i wonder if it'll be quite a different 11 we might see yeah i do wonder if he might be inclined to to rest or rotate a little bit more because we've got a, an away game against bournemouth i wonder i mean which one do you think he's going to view as as the most tricky um we, we had big I think pro- bournemouth do you think because i you mm. know we had if you look at it we have big problems in breaking down a resolute west brom defense and I think more or less we're going to see something similar from Sam Allardyce. Now, I'm not sure Palace are as, as good at it as West Brom are. But, you know, he might look at that game and say, well, we're going to face the same kind of problems. 
Um, we're gonna we're gonna dominate possession. I mean, I uh, was something I wrote about today. I think maybe we could get Aaron Ramsey into the team uh, as a starter in a game where we're gonna boss the possession for the most part. Have Aaron Ramsey in the team, maybe in place of Francis Coquelin, who I thought was good against uh, West Brom. But you know, I think Ramsey gave us just something a little bit different when he came on. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you might. I mean, I thought Coquelin was okay, but I uh, the, the the criticism I read online is is fervent, really. I mean, he really is a lightning rod at the moment. I think it's because people feel that in those home matches when we're against, uh, you know, a, a very compact defensive side, maybe he's not strictly necessary. You know, how mm. much threat on the break does Darren Fletcher offer? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think. Uh, Look, central midfield's an area where Arsenal's probably likely to rotate. I think Shaka's pretty instrumental at the moment, so maybe Ramsey could come in. In my head, Palace is the easier game, but I I guess I think that's because I don't know how much Sam Allardyce's methods can take hold particularly mm. quickly. They ha- they haven't been defending great all season long. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, maybe it's yeah. a relatively simple task to focus on. You know, if you just like sit behind the ball, anyone can can do that to an extent. Yeah, I mean isn't isn't it a case though that when you look at the way Bournemouth play that that in it, I'm not saying it's easy to deal with. Uh I'm just saying that it probably suits us a lot better because it allows us to play the way we prefer to play. So rather mm. than trying to be a battering ram and knock down this wall there's there's space uh, behind the defence, a space wide. You know, central midfield is an area where we can get hold of the ball and and look for the look for the passes in behind, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, just from that point of view, I think Bournemouth's relative openness in comparison to the other teams uh, will will suit us a little bit better. And they're and they're not easy to play against, as we saw just a couple of weeks ago when they were at the Emirates. Well, given that, and given Crystal Palace's uh, the way they're going to likely to set up and the success. Uh, I guess to an extent of Olivier Giroud against West Brom. Do you think he'll play again against Palace? Who? Who exactly? Sorry, Olivier Giroud. Um, yes, I think he might, and I don't think he'll start against Bournemouth. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably the way round you do it for him personally. Mm. Uh, but I guess attack is one of the areas where we can kind of shift around the personnel without, without massively uh, affecting the quality of people yeah. we put out, especially if Walcott comes back and is available. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, look, we're going to leave it there for part one. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We come back with part two and your questions right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Before we do that, though, just got to tell you a little bit about FanDuel. James, are you any good at fantasy football? Uh, I have been. I have been in the past, but this season I'm getting it all kinds of wrong. Right. You know, I, I, yeah, so, no, I'm not great. Right. I well, get stuck with players that I can't <laughs> really use. <laughs> well, you see, this is why you need to play one-day fantasy football. You don't have to commit for the whole season. FanDuel will allow you to do that. You pick a team, and if your team wins uh, enough points, you win money. Simple as that. Uh, you can sign up at fanduel.co.uk, and they've got an offer for you that if you deposit £10... Uh, you can play with £30 because they'll give you £5 credit free every week for four weeks. So you just pick a team, enter the competition, the one that gives you the best chance of winning money, and uh, use the code arsblog 30 when you sign up and you claim that offer. So fanduel.co.uk, you deposit £10, they give you another £20 over the next four weeks to play with so you get more chances to win real life cash. The code is arsblog 30 when signing up. So um, there you go. Okay. Give it a go myself. Why don't right. you? Right. Well, I will. I mean, honestly, because I'm just looking at my fantasy football team now, and it's full of players who are either injured, suspended, or dead. I mean, I, you know, it's, I, I need to play week by week because I can't <laughs> keep track of it otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, questions. Yes. I, 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 as my Christmas present to you, I'm going to give you the honour of asking the first question. Oh, thanks, James. You're a real yeah. pal. I, I, I didn't get you anything else, essentially. So, <laughs> God, not even socks. No, although I might have some surplus, frankly. So we'll see. All right, here's a question from Andrew Callender, who's at Ande37. And he says, who would you like to sign as a Santi replacement? I think there's sort of a bigger a bigger discussion to be had here around Is that. it that, well, about Santi himself or about the January transfer window? Not necessarily about the January transfer window, but, like, are we focused on finding somebody who can do what Cazorla does, but is just younger. Because, you know, obviously Santi's uh, getting on a bit. He's, what, 31, 32 now, I think. Mm. Um, and he's he's got his injury problems, which maybe might be hampering him in the final stages of, of his career, the September of his career. But are we looking too hard, or is the, is the inclination to replace like for like when perhaps a different solution is the more appropriate one if you get me sure i mean yeah because all has turned 32 this month so he's got and he's got six months around his current deal but it looks as if arsenal are gonna take up an option to extend that by a further year mm. although i mean for, effectively for this season is he kind of can we consider him out now i mean he, he went underwent surgery a few weeks ago so you'd think there'd be a recovery of, of several months on that mm. um so he's pretty much out of contention i think I don't know. I I, I think uh, he's a special player, and I think finding a like-for-like replacement for him is probably not particularly plausible. Mm. Uh, You know, if you think about other great players we've had down the years, I know he's not considered in the same category as a Thierry Henry, but when Thierry Henry went, you didn't go, well, we must buy Thierry Henry, you know? We must buy the younger Thierry Henry. It's not really feasible to do that you have to find a different approach and Arsenal eventually found that in in Robin Van Persie but I think um yeah I mean look we have got plenty of young midfielders of promise Granit Xhaka 
Aaron Ramsey, Mohamed Elneny, Francis Coquelin are, are talented midfielders. Uh, I think you're right in that probably it's not about a sw- straight personnel swap. It's about finding a, a partnership and a formula that works. The problem that we have is, in a way... The problem that we have is kind of Meza Ozil, isn't it? Because playing Ozil as number 10 dictates that you need two behind and the roles they have to fill are essentially defined by what he does and doesn't do. Mm. Uh, so it's not the most flexible setup. And Kazola is a, an individual who's able to make that work because you know, he, of what he's able to do in midfield. But I don't know if that there's not someone else who can necessarily do that. I certainly haven't seen many players who are as as capable that's those specific attributes he has. Yeah. It does seem to me as if central midfield is the sort of not the cloud that hangs over us, but we're we're still not a hundred percent sure of what our best combination in there is. Um and I, I don't I to me, Cazorla in there, as much as I like him, I think he's an amazing footballer, it's always felt like a bit of a stopgap solution, you know? That it wasn't because mm. Orla wasn't bought to play there. He was played there because he's that good, and the manager could see that if he's got somebody like Coquelin, for example, then you need somebody like Cazorla who can do more with the ball. Um, so I don't know who I, who I would like to sign, but I do, I do think the wider issue is that we need to figure out our central midfield and need to find a combination that works in there. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it is yet. This is why I, I really want to see Shaka and Ramsey together for a little while, or for a few games anyway, to see to see how it works and to see how they can combine. That if there's a way of using Ramsey's energy higher up the pitch, the way that that Cazorla or the way that Coquelin is is pressed high up the pitch to try and win the ball back, I just think he could give us more in there. But I think you're right in the sense that Mesut Ozil is. I won't say in the way. But you can't maybe have two players that far up the pitch with someone like Xhaka, who's not necessarily a defensive midfielder per se, um, sitting deep. So I, I don't know what the solution is, but I'd like to see it. I'd like to see Ramsey and Xhaka get a go. When, uh, yeah, I mean, we had a question from Dinaronya, Dinaronya UK on Twitter, and they said, can Xhaka play defensive midfield without Coquelin? So you think that in some games we can afford that? Is that yeah, so? yeah, I think so. I think when you're playing a team, a team who do what West Brom did the other day, I don't think there's any real need for a player like Coquelin. Uh, you know, who who is tenacious, who will run and who will win the ball back, who's defensively switched on. I don't think we necessarily have the need for him, um, which isn't to take anything away from, from what he did. But I think perhaps if Ramsey had been back a week or two, he would have given that a go. You don't, you don't need that uh, defensive midfield player against, like you say, what's Darren Fletcher going to do on the break? Not Not very much, especially when they don't have any ambition of... Uh, they they don't want the ball, they just don't want it. So we know we're going to dominate possession. Um, so you're sort of not that you're handicapped, but a player with a little more craft in that area could could give you more. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that you know if you if you're looking for a like for like Cazorla replacement, I mean it's difficult, isn't it? And you know Marco Verratti's a name that gets mentioned, uh, and he was I thought excellent against us uh, for PSG, but. Yeah. How do you prize a player away from PSG? I mean, you need a, an awful lot of money to do that. Mm. Uh, 
I, I, yeah, I, I think it's interesting because Ramsey, you know, is in some ways the sort of great hope of the midfield, you know, still relatively young, entering his prime, incredibly talented, but is such a different player to Cazorla um, that it would it would shift the dynamic. And we don't really know if it works yet. We know that Coquelin, Cazorla and Ozil as a midfield trio kind of functions. I mean, you know, mm. granted we haven't won the league with it, but we know it, it kind of works. We haven't really had it for a whole season in the league, so we can't really say. Um, but we don't necessarily know how something like Xhaka, Ramsey and Ozil mm. would work. And maybe we will see that this weekend. I'd definitely be interested to have a look. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, let's have another question. Well, we mentioned it in the previous part, so let's get on to it now. Rob, who's at Traupin on Twitter, says, will Lucas Perez get a sustained run in the team anytime soon, or will he become Podolski 2.0? And Tiki Techers chimes in is Lucas the new Campbell um, will he get a sustained run in the team no I don't think yeah. so uh, is he the new Podolski mm, don't think so either or the new Campbell he might be the new Campbell in the sense that people I, I always felt like with Joel Campbell I don't want to take anything away from what he did but but it felt to me like people's opinion of him as a player wasn't necessarily aligned with his quality as a player, mm. but they kind of felt mm. a bit sorry for him because whenever he came in, he did pretty well or he worked hard and people like that and respect that in, in a player. Um, but I do feel as if maybe Perez is a guy who, because he's new and relatively unused, people want to see more of. I don't know that we can make any definitive judgment about him as a, as a player. I just feel as if there, there is a reluctance on the part of Arsene Wenger to, to use him. Um, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if, in the absence of Oxlade-Chamberlain and Walcott, for example, he got a start against Palace because it's that kind of game, and he might well be thinking about players uh, for, for the game against Bournemouth on, on Tuesday. So it wouldn't really surprise me there. I think he's a good player. I think he's productive. I think he was unlucky not to get an assist the other day against West Brom. He put in a really great ball, which Giroud and, and Mesut Ozil both, I won't say ignored, but neither of them tried as hard as they could have to get on the end of it. That would have broken the deadlock around the 75th minute, I think. So I think he's a good player, but I think when... Walcott is fit, when Oxlade-Chamberlain is fit, when Alexis is fit, when Giroud is fit, when Danny Welbeck is back, I think... And yeah. rejoined training this week. Exactly, Danny Welbeck, Danny Welbeck is back, and uh, I think he's going to be a guy who lives on the margins, or plays in the cup games, or, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it's hard to see him as a as a starter, like, is he going to start Lucas Perez over Giroud as the main striker if he wants to switch it around? Like, I, I would have no problem with seeing that. And I would have no problem with him being given a go there. I just want to make that clear. But it's w whether I think he will be given that opportunity. And the answer is no. Yeah, I mean, if, if Welbeck is the player he was before, I think Lucas is probably fourth in line for the centre-forward spot, you know, mm. behind Alexis, Giroud and, and Welbeck. So it, it is tricky, and I do... Uh, I mean, I agree that he put in a, a great cross for, for Ozlan Giroud. There was another one, actually, which Bellerin headed over from the right-hand side. Yeah. Um, maybe if you are going to... And we've seen him produce some good crosses 
almost Podolski-esque crosses, actually. It's an interesting comparison because Podolski, although he's sort of known for his goal scoring, when he did whip balls in for the left, invariably they were pretty decent. Um, I wonder if, if you're going to play Giroud as a kind of target man, if Lucas is someone who is worth including on the flanks, maybe against Palace, because he does seem to be willing and able to offer a supply line from wide. Mm. Uh, so that might be an interesting combination to see in action. I don't think a sustained run is likely, though. I think the Palace game, he might get run out. I think he'll certainly play against Preston uh, in the FA Cup in a you know couple of weeks' time. Yeah. Or less than that, in fact. Um, but, yeah, in the Premier League, I think it, I think it is going to be tricky for him. And I think... Maybe, you know, <laughs> some of the support for him probably comes as a consequence of the fact that he hasn't been overexposed yet. I think, you know, he's looked great in cameos, but maybe if we saw him more regularly, there wouldn't be such clamour because, you know, at the end of the day, Arsene Wenger's the guy watching him every day in training. And I think with Lucas, as with Campbell to an extent, there is that support for him because he represents something different. And mm. when it doesn't click it's obvious to look at the alternatives and go, sure. well, what about this guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, I'm with you on that one. All right, uh, here's a couple uh, from Facebook, one from Alan James. He says, how will we get any players to sign or re-sign if we don't know what the fuck the managerial situation will be? As much as I believe Wenger deserves to determine his leaving, uh, I also believe he owes it to the club to let us know in good time and not April or, I think what he wanted to put in there was May. Um, and then there's another one, which comes from, bum, bum, bum. I had it right here. Oh, Mark Shatliff, who says, with only six months to go till Wenger's contract expires and hardly any new manager names being linked, is it practically a given that he will stay on? Do you think well, that's having I mean, any impact on, let's say, the, the contract situations about, uh, you know, Ozil and Alexis? I, I'm not sure I do, actually. Um and maybe that's maybe that's naive of me, but I kind of feel like, you know, as much as those players are loyal to Arsene Wenger and probably admire Arsene Wenger uh, a, a significant amount, I kind of feel like there are probably other factors that are more important than the identity of the manager. I think they probably know that whoever is in the helm at Arsenal, they're likely to retain a place in the side. I think the competitiveness of the club and the size of their pay packet mm. probably come before the identity of the manager. Um, I don't think it's having an effect on performances of the team. If um, I don't think so at all. I mean, uh, there was a manager linked today, wasn't there? I don't know if you saw Max Allegri. Yeah. Um, has been suggested as a, a possible successor. There was the guy at Leipzig as well, a couple of weeks ago, who mm -hmm. seemed to be fairly concrete about the idea there'd been contact. I mean, obviously you never know if that's from the club or from intermediaries. Um matchmakers as it were but I yeah I, I don't think it's having a detrimental effect particularly I don't think it's what's delaying any any contract negotiations with Ozil and Alexis as for how long we have to wait it's a unique position but it isn't going to change is it I mean I can't foresee a scenario where we find out before April definitively what Arsene Wenger's going to do I well yeah I think that's fair enough but also I think that depending on how the team is doing come April, that that situation might be obvious. Because he has mm. said again, hasn't he, recently that um, you know he's going to wait and see how the season goes uh, as to whether or not he um, as to whether or not he extends. So 
Uh, yeah, I, it could be obvious. It could be obvious. If we're doing well, then I think he'll stay. If we're not doing so well, I still have this thing in the back of my mind that, it, you know, if we don't do as well as people want and it starts getting contentious and difficult and narky again, then I, I have a feeling that, you know, he might not, he might not continue. Uh, here's another one sort of on the same lines. Um, this comes from at Yonko Abs. And he says, there are a few players who, if we let them go, it won't damage Arsenal too much in each individual case, but there's a risk that their form picks up so much after they leave. I'm talking about uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Aaron Ramsey, Jack Wilshire. All of them have 18 months left on their contracts, which is not the case. Ramsey has longer than that, uh, but Oxlade-Chamberlain and Wilshire certainly do. Uh, what do you think the club will do about them this summer? Yeah, I saw that question. It's a good one. I mean, stories abound again today about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and a couple of outlets, I think The Guardian and somewhere else, uh, running that Liverpool yeah. are going to be making a bid for him this January. I mean, it, does that feel a bit like a player trying to push for a new deal? It, it feels like, yeah, look, here we are. I'm into the last 18 months of my deal. Liverpool are interested. What What's going on? Um, that's I, I think that's probably coming from the Oxlade-Chamberlain camp from the agents more than anything else. I mean, we think back, I don't know if you remember the interview Oxlade-Chamberlain gave on Goals on Sunday a couple of months ago. He seemed pretty firm at that time that, you know, this is a kind of make-or-break season for him. Now, he seems to have been making it more than breaking it thus far, so uh, it would be a bit of a surprise if they cut ties with him in January. Yeah. In, in the case of those three players, um, I don't know, there are some interesting decisions. I mean, I've said in the past about Wilshire, I think it's difficult, it is difficult to foresee him coming back. I was told he played very well against Chelsea mm. uh, on Boxing Day. My brother was there and was very impressed with him. Um, and, you know, talking about Cazorla replacements, he's someone who does have some of the same attributes, but he's not playing that role for Bournemouth. He's playing a more advanced role. Uh, kind of off the striker yeah. for the most part um, I think I don't think Jack Wilshire will I, I don't expect him to come back really at this stage I think I'd be a little bit surprised uh, Aaron Ramsey's the really fascinating one for me I think Oxley chamberlain will stay and sign a new deal but Aaron Ramsey's a really fascinating one because if we cannot make central midfield work around him then how long does a player with that kind of reputation that kind of price tag hang around as a kind of spare part as a square peg in a round hole I think that's one that if over the next six months it doesn't pan out for him in his favourite position I think that's one the club will look at very very hard next summer because he's got huge value really on the transfer market despite a, a, a relatively average season thus far yeah what do you think on those three? I, I think that's the. it's always the big risk, isn't it? When you've got a guy, particularly Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think is an interesting one because Finger spoke about him last week or the week before and said that, look, his career has been more or less uh, uh, hampered by injury. And I think that's that's true to a great extent. And he is only 23. And I think if he were available, there'd be plenty of clubs who would have a go at, at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Uh, because he's a he's a player who's got real talent, real ability. You know the consistency in terms of his performances and in games is is an issue. But I think what we were looking for this season from Oxley Chamberlain was a step forward, and I think we've got that. I think he's six goals or five or six assists, which is all time career high numbers for him in terms of a, a single season. And we're only in December, um, so I I think it would be. Uh, a risk to let him go. Wilshire, I'm just not sure what's going to happen. Uh, I think 
to an extent he uh, he sort of set it in stone when he decided to to leave and, and go to Bournemouth. Um, as, as understandable as some of the reasons for it were, you know, I'm not sure he's doing much to convince anybody that he's got what it takes to to do it at Arsenal, uh, other than stay fit, you know. And to his credit, he stayed fit for most of uh, most of the season. Uh, I think Bournemouth have played 15 games since he arrived. He's appeared in 14 of them. The only one he didn't play in was the one against us, for obvious reasons. Mm. But, you know, he's, he hasn't scored a goal. He's only got one assist. Uh, so the second half of the season, I think, he, you know, he's really got to start producing um, if he's going to convince Arsene Wenger that, that, that he's the guy to, to come back and do it. And, you know, my, my gut feeling on this, is that he should have stayed and that there would have been enough football for him to make an impact at Arsenal. But it is, it's the danger, I guess. The manager, as you said earlier, he sees the players on the training pitch all the time and he he ultimately has to make those decisions. He very rarely gets it badly wrong when he lets a player go. Very Mm. rarely. You know, unless a player is actually pushing for a move, as some of the, the names in the past have done. But when it comes to a player who hasn't quite fulfilled his potential... He he rarely gets it wrong, so you'd have to I, you'd you'd have to trust him on that one. I think. Yeah, and the three we're talking about are all players he's given every possible opportunity, really, because he must mm. believe very deeply in their talent. Yeah. I mean, one way of looking at it is to think, you know, if if they were playing for other clubs, <laughs> would you fancy them Arsenal? I mean, we can actually see that with Jack Wilshere now. You know, we're seeing him perform yeah. for another Premier League side, and I don't think if we didn't know Jack Wilshere as an Arsenal player, and if we were just assessing him on this season, I don't think anyone would be talking about him as a, a potential Arsenal signing. Yeah. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, I think Oxlade Chamberlain there would be a bit more intrigue around because he's got very obvious, you know, natural power mm. and ability. What about the Aaron Ramsey thing? I mean. It, it, I think the next few months really could be make or break for him at Arsenal. Do you see it as as, as serious as that, or what's your perception? Yeah, I mean, I think it's getting there. I think he really has, like Wilshire at Bournemouth, he has to have a big second uh, half to this season. He's got to stay fit. Um, the, the hamstring issues are a real problem now uh, for him. Um, he's got to stay fit, but he's also got to start He's got to become a, a part, an integral part of the team to an extent. You know, I think he's a, I think he's a far better player than people give him credit for. The whole Ramsey is shit thing does my head in. He's clearly not shit, but I can understand why he frustrates people, and I can see th- uh, things in his game that if he simplified them and and uh, uh, and just tried to be a bit more sensible, I guess, in terms of his decision-making at times. But I think it, it stems not from selfishness. I think people think he's a selfish player. I think he just genuinely wants to make things happen. Mm. And very often uh, he's on one wavelength and everyone else is on a different one, um, which is, I mean, which honest, is unfortunate. It's, it's a similar characteristic, albeit in a different part of the pitch, to what makes Alexis Alexis. You know, that mm. tendency to hang on to the ball for too long or, you know, that occasionally that can be infuriated. But I think the same drive is actually in Ramsey, that he, he is a, a match winner and someone who wants to take on the challenge himself. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that can be frustrating, but it's also what makes those players special in some mm. respects. Yeah, I, I think... I think Wenger is going to give him a chance in the second half of the season and I'd really love to see him take it because I think he gives us something when he's on form 
and I accept that he hasn't really been on form for a while, but when he is, he gives us something that no other midfielder in the team can give us. So uh, I'd like to see it. But yeah, come the summer, if it hasn't worked, then I think there's a, there's some thinking to be done on all sides. Yeah, and I think from his side, he'll be like, look, I'm an international player. I had this brilliant tournament, Euro 2016. I mean, everybody in Europe was talking about his performances, voted into the team of the tournament. He's come back and will be, you know, admittedly fitness has played its part, but really mm-hmm. halfway through the campaign, he's, he's kind of done nothing. Um, I mean, I think he hasn't scored for Arsenal this season, you know, even. So, yeah, uh, yeah it'll be fascinating to see how he gets on in the second half of the campaign. All right. Let's have one from uh, you then. OK, this is from Jacob Rothenbush, and they, is at Gathy Falk on Twitter, they ask, are we fantasising about the prospects for Welbeck's comeback as we did with Walcott in 2014? He's been out so long. Mm, fantasising in, in what way, though? I think that are people uh, maybe expecting too much, really? Do you think he can have a an impact this season? Or is after... I think he's missed something like crazy, like 17 out of the last 20 months of football. Yeah. Um, assuming he can stay fit, I think he's a guy who's obviously going to be fresh. He'll have plenty in his legs. It might take him a while to get to match fitness. Um, I think he gives us something a little bit different in attack. That you know we don't have from anybody else. Uh, maybe he's a bit like Perez in the sense that he can play as a striker. He can also play in the wide positions, but he's got pace and power. Um, you know, I I don't think we should expect a huge amount in the early stages of him coming back. But I do feel like he's a player who can give us something between now and May for sure. Mm. Do you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I mean, look, it, you can't always uh, replicate what you do in your in your rehab. But if you look at the impact he had coming back from injury last time out, mm. obviously there was the extraordinary comeback against Leicester. But pretty soon after that, Arsene Wenger was including him fairly regularly and admitted at the time that it was a slight gamble, but it was one he felt he had to take because of what Welbeck was bringing to the side and it was a gamble that ultimately backfired. I think because of that, there'll be a bit more caution this time. But I definitely think... Uh, He'll be in and around, as Andy Towns would say, the first team. Uh, yeah, probably within a few weeks' time, I should imagine. Yeah, I mean, maybe the maybe the FA Cup game is a mm. bit too soon, but you know, you could give him twenty minutes, maybe at the end of that, and, yeah, and see how he goes. Surprise me. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see him come off the bench mm. in that game. All right, here's one from Phil G at PGS underscore Twips. And uh, he says, after Wenger's comments earlier in the week, do you think the Chinese league is a threat going forward? And obviously they've signed Oscar from Chelsea for £400,000 a week. And Carlos Tevez has just signed for a club there who's going to be paid something like £650,000 a week. Um, What do you make of it? I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, the money changing hands is, is crazy. And I think more and more players will will go. I mean, Oscar's a guy who's really in his prime mm. uh, and is going to make a hell of a lot of money. I wonder if what we'll see is a trend of people going there for a relatively short period of time. I don't expect Oscar to see out his playing days in China. I think he'll do it for a year, two years, bank an awful lot of money and then come back to somewhere, take a pay cut, basically, to go to <laughs> PSG or, or what have you. Um, but and, and, you know, literally see it as well. 
uh, you know, I, while I could, I absolutely, I made my retirement and more uh, in that season. But I think it's interesting as well, the the types of players are going. I think it's interesting, the background, I mean, it's a lot of South American players, an awful lot of Brazilians are in China at the moment. Mm. Um, and I do wonder if it's those players who are from backgrounds that are maybe... Uh, what's the word, I guess, less comfortable, who see this as an incredible money-making opportunity. You know, I haven't seen many Western European players, for example, you think of Graziano Pelle, but not too many apart from that going in their prime to China. So I think that will be a kind of a sea change when that starts happening. But it probably will, won't it? Because this, who can turn down, what professional can turn down that sum of money? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's a point like uh, when you're already earning a ridiculous amount of money, is a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of money gonna gonna sway you if you've got sporting ambitions? Because I think you know you've got to find the balance. I think what Wenger was saying that you know players, uh, of course, want to be paid well, but they also have ambitions to uh, you know to play football at the highest level, to play against the best teams, to play in the best stadiums, to win the biggest trophies, whether that's the Premier League or La Liga or the Bundesliga. You know, to compete for the Champions League. You know, I think there's there's an element of that that's a bigger element um, for for the really top players. Mm. Like I don't think you're going to get Cristiano Ronaldo or, or Lionel Messi going there in their prime just because uh, you know they could earn a bit more, maybe a lot more than than they do in Europe. I mean, I think they've got you know genuine sporting ambitions. They want to be the best, and I don't think you can be the best if you're playing in a league. Um, like the Chinese league, which is still very, very much in its infancy. Um, but I do think as well that it may have an effect on sort of mid-level players with, well, with a measure of reputation who will definitely be swayed by the huge amounts of money on offer because ultimately it is a job for most of them. It's just mm-hmm. a job. Playing football is their job. Um, and they all love the game, I'm sure, to a certain extent. But like, if you're earning, let's say you're a someone like Alex Song, for example, who I don't know where the fuck he is now, but uh, let's say he's earning seventy grand a week at West Ham, and a Chinese Super League club comes along and offers you two hundred grand a week or two hundred and fifty grand a week, you're gone. Simple as that. So it might have a, a fairly significant effect on those that level of player. That's that's what I reckon. Yeah, I mean, Alex Song, uh, almost as an example, this is currently playing for Rubin Kazan in Russia. Oh, is he? But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that that'll be, I think that's the thing. I mean, Messi and Ronaldo, sure, they're not going to go there. But Messi and Ronaldo can already earn yep, crazy true. figures in Europe. If they say they want what Tevez is getting, they actually probably can get that, as absurd as it sounds. It's more someone like an Oscar who's not that tier, but he's a couple of tiers below who can suddenly match the figures earned by the best players in the world. I think they're the heads that will be turned. Mm. And I also think, I mentioned this before, but I think the shift may be if you look at MLS in the past and uh, the Middle East in the past, uh, it's been players going there at the very, very end of their career. But Mm. I think the drive in China is to bring people in at a younger age. And I think that the shift will be that people will go there in their peak or you know closer to their peak for a shorter period of time rather than a retirement it'll almost be a gap year yeah. you know what i mean yeah sure sure <laughs> uh, yeah uh, because i think the earning potential is better and i think in china that's viewed as better for the mm, the status of the league sure sure okay have you got one more 
Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one, that one, mm. isn't it? I mean, especially with the figures being bandied around for, say, yeah, Alexis. I mean, you yeah, can't, you just can't ignore that kind of money. I mean, some players will will probably do it even though they don't necessarily want to, but just simply can't turn down the kind of money that's on offer. And I think maybe as well there'll be a little bit of a snowball effect that if you manage to attract enough reasonably uh, good players with a decent reputation, then it becomes less of an issue for those who aren't sure whether or not they want to go. That you can say, well, he's there, he's there, look, at they, they play there, they do that, you know. And then it becomes a little bit easier to make that decision, and it might snowball a little bit, and, and there'll be a bit of a drain of resources or talent from from European clubs. But, um, you know, and until then... Interesting. Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say that, like, that's true from a, a cultural perspective. If you look at, say, what Shakhtar Donetsk had done in the Ukraine in terms of bringing Brazilian players into that country, you know, at first it was difficult, but they've really established a sort of safe cultural hub there for mm. people where they feel comfortable. But I suppose the difference with China is it's not like... It's not like a PSG, say, where there's one club that's an outlier who can afford these players and nobody else can. I mean, Shanghai alone has got more than one club that, that can pay this kind of crazy money so yeah. it, it it might create a competitive league uh and that's really the key isn't it rather than one rich super super club uh it's about having a, a league that's mm. genuinely entertaining so we'll see we'll see what happens mm. over there but it's definitely interesting um what was i gonna ask you Oh well, kind of on the on a similar theme. Um, Fred Thurbin, who's at RLF eighty six on Twitter, says predictions time, January transfers, how many in, how many out, uh, cost and net cost. Okay, here we go. Um, in, in nobody. Okay, nobody in. Shall I write this down? I'll write this down. Yeah, see if you can remember the figure of zero pounds and zero pence yeah, that, spent. Okay. January transfer predictions in nobody he says okay out I think um, Jenkinson on loan yeah and that's about it I can't see anything happening unless something really remarkable happens I can't see anything else happening um I mean, look, injuries can prompt January business sometimes on the inbound front, mm. uh, but I, I really feel like it doesn't seem as if anything's going on in Ooh, that could, Matthew Debushi, he's been talking again. I think Debushi... Uh, he said, uh, I he think, said, do you hear, see what he said? He says, uh, before, he was uh, talking about Arsene Wenger, he said, before my loan to Bordeaux, I was often in his office, but now I've not felt the need to do so. I do not want to. We greet each other, we say hello, nothing more. So <laughs> he sounds yeah. um, he sounds a, a man who's unhappy, and I, I don't think the club would be averse to letting him go. But I do wonder if we let both Jenkinson and Debushi go. I think uh, I don't know. The only thing that makes me wonder is how much Arsene Wenger has talked up the performances of Gabriel at right back. Mm. Uh, he really has given him a lot of praise there. Surprising amount, really. I thought he did adequately well, but didn't look you know necessarily a natural. Um, so maybe, maybe we consider it. I think. Do you think if they they would let bring anyone in if they let Jenkinson and Debussy go, or do you still stand by your mm. zero pounds? If they let both of them go, maybe, but it would depend on what sort of a player they would find. You know, um, I think he might be inclined to, like you say, stick with with a with a Gabriel slash holding. 
backup if that's what we really needed. So I just don't see us spending any money unless somebody we really want becomes available. Um, and, you know, Draxler, for example, was available and we didn't really appear to be in in any significant way for him. Uh, I think that's indicative, isn't it? Because mm. you, we know that Arsene Wenger has fancied Draxler for quite some time. He's, yeah. he's on record talking about his admiration for him. So the fact we didn't uh, go in for him, I think, tells us that the you know there's no, not a huge hunger to do business this January. Yeah, yeah, and that's justifiable. This is the first January for a long time where you look at the squad and there's not like, well, we must go and do this. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. The squad's the squad is pretty full, so um, that's why I just don't see any any significant business being done. Do you have? Do you, are you going to? No, I mean, honestly, I'd wish I. It's not a very interesting uh, contest, is it? I mean, the only additions I would make uh, would be, I think, Chubarakpam will go on loan somewhere mm. um, if he's fit enough. I don't really know the story with back, his back in, injury. Back in training now, is he? So I think they'll try and loan him out to a Premier League club if they can. Um, Sonogo, I don't know what on earth the story is there either. <laughs> uh, with his mystery illness, hopefully he's all right. I think if he if he can pass a medical and go somewhere, he might go. Um, just to try and you know yeah. improve, improve his chances of getting a move somewhere else. I don't think there's any real long term future for him at Arsenal. Uh, just flicking through the squad. No, it's, it's almost impossible to see anything happening, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there was talk about Kieran Gibbs. Can't see that happening. No, that I think that's something that's going to happen in the summer. I think, uh, I think our big one of our one of our first purchases uh, next summer, excuse me, is going to be uh, a left back. Same. I think uh, I think that'll be one of the the big targets, to mm. be honest, because you know whatever you think in natural morale, he's not getting any younger, so yeah. they do need a left back, and it's clear that they were looking to do something in that area last summer. Uh, and ultimately opted against it. But yeah. I think that will change next time. All right, final question. This comes from Gunnar John at Mr. John Friend, and he says, Mike Dean and Phil Collins are both drowning. There's an image for everybody. Just take a moment. <laughs> save, save, <laughs> save, savor that image. Far out to sea, choppy waters, etc. Um, you have one life jacket. Mince pie or Christmas pudding? <laughs> <laughs> very good very good well to answer the question um mince pie i must mm. say i love a mince pie yeah me too um, i just had one did you I, mince pies for breakfast is really sort of you know a, a true sign of it being christmas and all the rules being broken um i i like that but yeah i love a mince pie i'm not sure i always did but you know it's grown it's like coffee and alcohol you sort of make yourself don't you <laughs> <laughs> and um uh yeah i never had pudding. to try that hard <laughs> no sure christmas pudding i'm not sure i quite get i mean i you know it's not really my thing i don't to be honest we don't really have it uh in my family at christmas right. do you go in for it yeah we used to um there was there would always be christmas pudding around um but yeah not so much in the last number of years i quite like christmas pudding mm. um but uh, i love a mince pie so i definitely go for a mince pie i would sit there Nibbling my mince pie, looking out at Mike wearing Dean. Wearing your life jacket. <laughs> wearing my life jacket and waving at Mike Dean and Phil Collins. Hi, guys. And they'd be waving. Help. No. Oh, hi, guys. <laughs> this mince pie is delicious. 
Yeah. I think, did you see Mike Dean the other day gave a no-look yellow card? He's been dishing those out where he doesn't even look at the player. I saw somebody posted, I don't know the context of this, but I saw somebody posted a video on Twitter um, today of Mike Dean doing like a high-five with a Tottenham player in the middle of the game. Wow. He's been pulling out the stepovers as well. I mean, I have to say, I quite enjoy the stepovers. <laughs> I think they're sort of ludicrous. He is a, uh, such a fucking ponce, isn't he? Yeah, he does seem to be... Fu- you know, when you talk about referees, you sort of want referees to not be noticed. That's what they always say. You know, a good referee doesn't get noticed. Mike Dean, he loves it. He loves the limelight. Can't resist it. I'm sure he really enjoys being the focus of all these mm. vines and, you know, YouTube compilations. Oh. What a terrible, terrible man. Anyway, at least he's drowning, so that's good, and I'll have a mince pie. Exactly. Good. He's drowning, you're waving. All right, well, look, I think next week um, we should probably do one after the Bournemouth game, no? Yeah, so that's on the 3rd, the Tuesday. Mm. So, yeah, let's do one on the... On, on the, the Wednesday. Morning, the 4th, so, yes. Yeah. All right, well, look... Um, I guess we should wish everybody a very, very happy new year, peaceful, prosperous, and healthy uh, 2017. Thank you for being with us throughout 2016, mm. which we'll be glad to see the back of. Indeed, we we, we made it. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, and happy new year, guys, and uh, I hope 2017 brings you, I don't know, Premier League title, but <laughs> not confident right now. Uh, well, look, you know, it's a, it's a new year. Anything can happen. Let's, let's try and be... Uh, positive and uh, if that doesn't work drink champagne it'll make you feel more positive about things in general that's my advice that's it carry on eating carry on drinking exactly until the first at least alright folks we'll catch you on the next one cheers bye bye softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.